Yakuza, Yakuza, Yakuza all the time. Yes, yak what the hell? Oh, uh, oh, okay, hello. Uh, my name is Jonah Logan. Welcome to Random Encounter 273 or 273. I'm back after apparently being ever so rudely stopped by Zach on last week's episode so he could talk about Final Fantasy 16 at length with the panel. Incidentally, if you didn't hear that episode, uh, I just think you should because it, it's a pretty popular game right now. It seems like a lot of people are pretty enthusiastic about Final Fantasy 16 for some reason. So I check that out and I check out the game too. Um, it's all the dog. It's all the dog. <laughs> it's all the dog. I've heard some good things about the dog. Um, yes. He's a very good boy. <laughs> um, but now, for the first time in months, actually, we are past Tears of the Kingdom. We're past Naughty 3. We're past Final Fantasy 16. Uh, so we can actually get talking about, you know, recent releases of games instead of nonstop news and and like the game of the years dropping on us. So why don't we meet our panelists today, Audra. Hello, hello. And Peter. Hey there. So yeah, it's been quite a sprint over the last couple of months, uh, you know, with all the, the, the game of the year contenders, all the video game news of not E3. Have you two recovered from it all or are you still reeling from it all? Probably still reeling, yeah. It's a lot to process. <laughs> it's so much. There's a lot of good stuff coming out now, and I'm kind of just right now, I'm just kind of trying to hunker down and play um, what review projects and uh, uh, backlog stuff comes my way. Although, of course, I had to make an exception for Final Fantasy 16. But, of course. <laughs> but, there's, but there's a lot to look forward to come on the horizon, and I'm very excited for some of it. I know. There's so many games coming out that are just massive and which could be incredible or they could be train wrecks of a <laughs> historic uh level uh i don't i'm just picking a name randomly something starfield maybe i don't know uh i have god, I, I have negative faith in that game god, but it's good god i hope it's good i i hope it's good i don't i would never wish that wish it ill but um I, I've never been a big fan of Bethesda's stuff. And when Microsoft goes and says things like, this is going to be the least buggy Bethesda release. I'm just sitting here like, uh-huh. Yeah, uh -huh. sure. Sure, Jan. <laughs> yes, and this is the least on fire Canada's forests have been in the last year. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe it when I see it. Mm -hmm. Just like Ayudin Chronicles' 2023 release date. Yeah, it will be. It could still be. It could still be absolutely. I I have I have faith that it will absolutely uh, be released uh, in that time frame on December thirty first. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's going to be released the same day as Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. That's that's my impression. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been waiting for that one since I was in college. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I. It, the funniest thing about that is I firmly expect that it's going to be on our most anticipated list next year too which will make it i think the returning champion like four years running so i guess we'll see anyway um well i'm glad that you two have are still reeling but it seems like you've mostly recovered and i'm hoping that our listeners have also recovered because there's a ton of games to play out there that are kind of awesome so let's talk about two of them so to start off with we are jumping into what could be described as uh i suppose like the avengers end game of legend of heroes which is trails into reverie now this is a Let's put it this way. Fans of the Trail series are very passionate. They love this series. Um, there's a lot of them. They are very interconnected. So, you know, if you jump into the middle of like Trails of Cold Steel 3, for example, you're not really going to have a clue in hell what's going on. They're not that yeah. kind of game. You need to play them. Very true. Yeah. 
So the newest one, Legend of Heroes, Trails into Reverie, as I understand it, brings together uh, two of the major plot lines from two of the sub-stories of games, and it introduces a brand new one, and it brings them into one massive universe-spanning uh, title that probably has about 100 hours plus worth of gameplay and story, and uh, I know that people are really, really in love with it, and Audra, you very much enjoyed it as well. Yes, I did. I loved it. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background with the Trail series? Um, I've played the original trilogy on PC and PSP when it came out initially there, the Trails in the Sky. Hmm. I've played Crossbell on the duology on Switch and the Cold Steel games on PS3 and Switch. Yeah, this the, th- the thing about this series is it's been going on for so long, it's like across generations of consoles. Yes. Yeah, I remember playing the first uh, one on the very first uh, retro encounter episode on the PSP. <laughs> um, yeah, this is this this has been a long time coming. Yes, it's a very it's a very long running series, and they've just started to finally get some of the like the Crossbell games. It was it took forever to actually come out over in English localization. Yeah, these games have been available in Japan for quite some time, and there's always the the, the localizations are slowly dripping out. Um, as a fan of the series, can you tell me like were your expectations met or exceeded by Trails in a Reverie? Actually, my expectations were exceeded. Hmm. I had kind of got into it a little lukewarm because I like Trails of Cold Steel Four, which this is more of like a direct continuation of, and. But I felt like it dragged on so much at parts that it kind of almost burned me out a little bit up until the ending. And so I wasn't sure what to expect of Trails into Reverie because it's like, oh, gosh, you're going to do it again. (laughs) But it ended up surprising me. I know that Caitlin was uh, she enjoyed for I think she uh, she gave it an 85. So she enjoyed it. And I know that Caitlin's a big fan of the series as well. So I'm glad that this uh, apparently pulled pulled it back a little bit. you mentioned in the review that, and I guess I mentioned it in the preamble, that this game specifically relies heavily on uh, already established narratives for it to make sense. So I imagine that would be more than daunting, almost impossible for new players. Would you say this is not the kind of game you want to get started in the Trail series with? You you probably should oh, play no. one of the yeah okay. You probably should play one of the earlier ones. I'd recommend at least having played all four of the Cold Steel games before trying this one, mm-hmm. and. Crossbell would actually be really well done to try playing too, the Crossbell duology. And then if you have the time, I'd actually go back and play Trails in the Sky because they totally reference characters and stuff from that one as well. Mm-hmm. So this one is definitely not newcomer friendly, I'd say. It's resolving a lot of story plots that they've been having. So I should not skip from Cold Steel 2 to this. Got it. <laughs> yes. That is, that is as far as I've gotten. <laughs> yeah, I know I compared it a little bit to the idea of Avengers Endgame, but it's it seems a little bit like that. Like, if somebody who just wanders into a theater and watches Avengers Endgame would probably be like, what? I, what? I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. And that seems to be this. Like, character relationships, the characters themselves are already established. You, you know who everyone is. Mm-hmm. So they don't really go into very heavy detail to make it accessible. Nor should yeah. they, really. Yeah, I mean, even the minor characters have like their own backstories that are constantly evolving whenever you visit them in the towns in Mm. the games and so you even see resolutions of those story arcs here 
you know, that's that, that's something I know a lot of people really love about these games mm-hmm. is they pay the attention to detail with like even little things like the NPC stories and the background of the world, um, the world building itself. Um, they're just they're very granular and very detailed um, to a level that I think a lot of uh, hardcore JRPG fans, I think, are really craving. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm not exactly quoting slowly, but I feel like I'm going to channel slowly a little bit when I say uh, the Trails into Hero or the uh, Legend of Hero Trails game seem like the most RPG ass RPGs ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good assessment. I think there's swimsuit DLC. <laughs> there is swimsuit DLC too. <laughs> because of course there is. Um, well, it's, you mentioned that like there are a lot of sub stories, uh, like side quests and uh, little stories going on in towns. And, but you also mentioned that uh, Reverie has over forty characters in the game, and because of that, there is a character bloat. I believe you said. Um, yes. I imagine that this will get slightly in the way of the gameplay experience because that's a lot of characters to. I mean, that's like Chrono Cross levels of characters, and more importantly, they're all going to be developed because they've been developed over the course of other games. So that's a lot to keep track of. Yes, and it was kind of funny because later on when they have the scenes where many of them are together, they would try to like, the script would keep going because they wanted to have everyone say something. (laughs) So you'd have like these 10 minute long speeches that (laughs) were just like someone, they're like, quick, someone has to say someone's name Mm -hmm. (laughs) to remind you that they're there. I mean, I'm glad that they're giving moments to these characters because they've certainly invested enough time into developing them so i like that everyone's getting a moment anyway Mm -hmm. but i also feel that 40 characters is just nuts that's a lot to keep track of that's a lot of a lot of balls in the air yeah especially when they really start hunkering down on how many you can have in the party at a time in most of the main storyline you're kind of separated a lot Mm -hmm. based on how they've set up the gameplay so people will join you people will leave people and so it's not quite as apparent but then they have like this reverie corridor dungeon that's like you're supposed to use to try to level up your characters and everybody joins there for plot reasons that i won't go into okay (laughs) and it just it's kind of insane how much how many characters you just have because you're limited to really only about six or so actually in your main group at a time does the fact that you spend so much of the time split up does that make it a little easier to keep your guys leveled up um because that was something i ran into even in cold steel 2 because that game while it's nowhere near as expansive as 40 characters you still have like a good dozen optional playable party members yeah they pretty much most of the characters kept to the same level and i kind of with the Reverie Corridor, I just picked a handful that I was like, okay, I like these characters. I usually use them. So I'm going to keep okay. them super leveled. And then you get items that you can actually use to level up other characters to keep them at the same roughly level without having to really use them as much. That's good. Okay. Because mm-hmm. that's something I would definitely worry about with such a big cast is just uh, characters getting out leveled or being stuck with an under leveled character. You still sometimes did get that, but not <laughs> oh, quite well. as, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would be, but it's still, it was a little weird. Like I'm a Laura fan and I was disappointed that she didn't, her and Fee didn't get a lot of like scene time compared to well, other characters just because, yeah. I like Laura too. She's cool. Yeah. 
It's a shame that they didn't have some kind of experience share or something in the game. Like, experience share can feel like a cheat sometimes, but I think if it's properly balanced, it can make characters more useful while still kind of making them... uh, How can I put this? Like, keep them at, like, three or four levels behind your main guys, but don't leave them on, like, level six. Oh, yeah. No, that would have been much better, I think. Mm. I think they were able to kind of do it with the Reverie Corridor and just having a pool of characters that you can always keep at the same level mm-hmm. because of that. But yeah, it would have been nice to have maybe had like an experience pool. Well, like Peter alluded to uh, about the storyline, one of the interesting ways that uh, Reverie tells its story is, I guess, partially because it's 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 basically acting as an epilogue for these two uh, other uh, arcs. Uh, it's split into three different paths, each one with uh, a group of protagonists that you've played in prior games, and I think one new protagonist. Um, yes. And then, you know, you can pick up each character's storyline and switch between them however you want. Uh, and then every now and then the game will force you to switch to another one so they can catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you mentioned that this kind of, unfortunately, kind of kills a lot of the pacing and like excitement of the game because something like super exciting will happen and super awesome. And then it's like, oh, now yes. I gotta go back to them again. Aww. Yes, I especially felt that with poor Rain's group because I thought his story didn't get interesting until much later than the mm. other one. So I was like, no, <laughs> whenever I had to go back to him after a cliffhanger yeah. on one of the other characters. Yeah, the new, um, and the new character of C is, well, I'm not going to spoil who they actually are, because that's kind of a big plot reveal later. But their plot line is just so interesting that I was kind of, I wanted to pl- keep playing their route. Mm-hmm. Do you think without spoilers, do you think they'll end up in a future title? I hope so. Mm-hmm. They actually became one of my favorite Trails characters. Them and the the little girl Lapis who joins them and the Nadia and Swin, who I, I know Nadia and Swin are in Kuronokaseki 2. Mm-hmm. Right, because they're so, already two game. They're already two games into the next arc in Japan, aren't they? The uh, yeah. with the um, the new uh, the Calvard Republic uh, mm-hmm. games, which this one um, does allude to a lot. So that's, I, I that's really cool. Like, yep, I really hope that they'll eventually get a localization announcement. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm 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 sure we will because I think these games, while they may not like sell gangbusters, they definitely have a dedicated audience and. Like I, I for one definitely am looking forward to catching up. It's just gonna, you know, take me a while because yes. I've got like, it's, I still have like five or six hundred hour RPGs to play through. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, it, at the same, it's it feels it feels good. It's like it's like the satisfaction of getting through a really long book or a really um or or an anime series in a lot of ways. Yeah. Trails always reminds me of like a good anime series. Yes, it is very anime esque. They have some cutscenes that I'm like, yeah, this would look good in an anime. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, how how caught are, up are we? So we've gotten all of the Trails in the Skies, haven't we? Yes, we have all the all, Trails in the Skies. We've got all the Cold Steels. All the Cold Steels and Crossbell. So we're really just missing Kuro now. Yeah, the new, the newest ones. So we're not that far behind at all. So yeah, there's two of them that are coming out. So we do we also have Zero and Azur? So that's the Crossbell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Crossbell and then there's, and Na- there's Nayuta that's coming out, but that's also kind of a weird... Ease-like side cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's not really part of the canon from my understanding. Mm. Yeah, I think it's more its own thing. I would I would put money that it'll be localized. Um, I don't know when, but I, I, it'll be localized. They're, like you said, these games have found an audience in the West, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just, that's just money on the table, I think. 
Um, so hopefully they, uh, hopefully they follow up on that pretty mm-hmm. soon. Um, let me ask you about the combat in the game, because again, going with the, uh, the most RPG ass RPG, uh, it's turn-based. Like it's a, it's a classic turn-based for those who are sick of final fantasy 16's combat. Let me introduce you to trails. Um, so it is very much a turn-based combat system, but there are some interesting twists in it that actually keep things pretty engaging and fun throughout, right? Yes, you um you can link characters that they create special moves together when you're when you when you the goal is to like in a, with an enemy is to break them, mm-hmm. which basically allows you to do double the damage to them. So a little bit a like time. Octopath, mm-hmm. and you can do like combos with that where you can do the whole party gains up on the person or the group and just wails on them. Yeah, I saw I saw a cutscene. I was I was on YouTube looking at some cutscenes from this and when everyone teams up it goes to like a it goes to like a splash screen where like they're in, all in their own individual triangle and then it like goes to them like rushing yeah. the person, which was pretty funny. And then I mean you have like your magic, your ornaments which are basically magic, but then they also have like stat boosting ones and like you can raise your attack levels and stuff to really make powerhouse fighters. Hmm. So it's very much, it's it's in the turn-based tradition, but with lots of little twists and things. So it's not, it's not basic turn-based. It has a little bit more of an, like an action feel, I I think to it would probably be how I'd describe it. Somewhere somewhere between classic Final Fantasy and the, and I don't know, the, the tale series then. Mm-hmm. maybe i don't know um, i think it's t- tone wise definitely yeah oh tales and trails incidentally we have uh, we, we have two game primers on the site one for trails and one for tales and <laughs> th- they get confusing sometimes i think i think i genuinely not us because you know we we know this stuff but for some people i think it's the trails and tales series they're like which which one is which? Wait, you're telling me that Tales of Berseria wasn't a part of the Trails in the Sky series? <laughs> oh, okay, well, I guess I'm I'm gonna have to rewrite that particular fanfic then. <laughs> that completely changes my headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the nice things about well, you in the review you comment, of course, you comment on like the graphical elements of Revelry, and uh, there are a few graphical bugs, but on the on the for the most part, it looks pretty good. It doesn't look mm-hmm. like an unbelievably beautiful game, though. It looks like a solid, I would say. Yeah, I don't think the graphics are quite the strongest selling point for it, mm-hmm. but it's not a bad-looking game. I think it's probably it, the best-looking one of the 3D trails. Mm-hmm. Ignoring. Done. Beyond the curl, which I, I love the art style of. But. Mm-hmm. I would say they're definitely working within a budget, and they're also mm-hmm. working to try and make it across um all these different platforms with different uh graphical uh parody uh are, are, what, are, what are you playing it on again Audra? i'm sorry um i played cold steel and crossbell on switch and then i switched for this review for, to the ps4 okay which actually wasn't bad it just it took a, some lo- some of the scenes took forever to load <laughs> i see okay I was curious if you were playing it on Switch or not, because that game is something we might get into later, foreshadowing. Uh, some games have a lot of trouble running on the Switch. Uh, yes. Even, wow, even if they're You're making some news friendly. there, Peter. <laughs> I know, but like <laughs> even games... Some fireballs. <laughs> I know, me with my... This is like the most lukewarm take ever. It's about as lukewarm as my coffee. Hang on a second, actually. Has anyone else noticed that the Switch isn't very powerful? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. In my def- what I'm what I'm trying to get at though is like even for games that you think um should 
not have any difficulties running on this thing, they mm-hmm. still do. And I know that 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 I know that there's more technical stuff than I like understand at play here. The the switch is very underpowered. It's using very old um, mobile technology, but at the same time, sometimes you look at a game like the Trails games, where it's like this runs just fine on everything else. What are you doing? I mean, look, I adore my Switch. I love my Switch. Me too. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Exactly. But I I think all of us are fully in agreement that a potato battery arguably has more power in it than the Switch. Yeah, because you can put GLaDOS on that potato battery. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, the thing about these games uh, specifically, ignoring the earlier ones, like the the, uh, In the Sky titles had a uh, super deformed character style, very much reminiscent of uh, PlayStation... uh, one era RPGs, and then it picked up with a much more, uh, much more modern graphic style. But they're all pretty consistent. And I'm, I mean, I know I bring everything back to Yakuza, but it does remind me a little bit of that. In that, sometimes companies find a graphic style and a system, and a, uh, it, it just works for them. Like it really does work, and it works into their workflow and allows them to churn these games out at a very high level at a very rapid pace. Um, and it seems like that's one of the things that the Trail series has tapped into. Whereas they're never graphic powerhouses, but they also, they still look real good. They look solid. Yeah, I mean, I think I love the art direction for the games mm. in general and stuff. And I think visually they're really quite nice looking. It's just, yeah, occasionally you'll notice, oh, hey, that NPC has the same face as that NPC. Mm-hmm. Art direction does forgive a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Another thing that forgives a multitude of sins is uh, music. And this is a series that is known to have some pretty strong music. How is the music in this one? Oh, it's fairly good. That's nice to hear. Yes, I quite liked it, especially the dungeon themes and battle themes. Have we had a Trails episode of Rhythm yet? I feel like we must have. I don't know. I know we're going to have a Falcom one eventually. It seems like having a Trails episode would be a no-brainer. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'll, we'll talk to, we'll talk to Mike and we'll see like this one, this just got released. So maybe the, maybe the next time one of them gets released, that'd be a good time to do a uh, trails mm-hmm. rhythm episode. There are some bangers. That's for sure. Like, yeah. Mm. And how is the voice acting? Like just sound in general. Is it uh, anime-esque? It is anime-esque, shall we say, but uh, not bad. I don't mean that in a, in a, uh, in a derisive way at all. It's just. Oh, no. Oh, I was just to say, you've got the usual standbys, right? Like the the, the voice actors that are very active in the dubbing anime dubbing mm-hmm. community yeah. right now. And I mean, I like C in particular, You, his voice actor does a great job, but you will probably, even with the voice filter that they do, if you're familiar with the other games, you will recognize who he is because they have such a distinct voice. Ah, uh, Okay. That it's not really hidden. But then again, it's not really supposed... Some of these things aren't supposed to be hidden. Some of these things are supposed to... Audiences like being outsmarted, but there are other times where audiences like being in on the in on the plot, so to yeah. speak. Where they're like, I think I know who this person is. I think <laughs> I know. And then when they, it, it's revealed that it's exactly who they thought, they're like, I knew it! <laughs> yeah, I can see that actually with the, the C reveal. Mm-hmm. Whoever it is. I have yes. no idea because I've never played the games. <laughs> um, although they have been on my list for quite some time. It's one of those things that at some point I feel like I want to play the first one. But I know that based on the strength of the story and the characters that I feel that's a slippery slope down from it a is, game that was released in 2004 all the way to 2023. It draws you in. It's um, But they're just 
be prepared for a very massive time sink. Yeah. For all of them, pretty much. <laughs> I could play Trails or I could play Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> Pick. Yeah, that's kind of, sometimes that's kind of what it boils down to. <laughs> Honest, honestly, that's I, 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 that's something I've been struggling with a lot because Final Fantasy fourteen is all-consuming and I love it. But now that I'm caught up in the story and I'm like, man, I really should take a break and play some of these other games. Oh, but I could do this instead. Meanwhile, my backlog just languishes. <laughs> like I have, I have the neck, the, the cross spell duology ready to go. That's on my to-do list for this year is to at least finish um, uh, zero. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like, come on, come on. Let, let me free OCP. <laughs> I know what you mean. And the old, it's steam sale time and i have i'm looking at my uh my wish list and like everything is on sale and i'm like yeah i have so many games that i haven't played yet so many games i don't need to buy any of these there's no point in me buying any of these i'm never going to play any of these i want all the games (laughs) the hoarder mentality is real it so is Oh, Steam, like it was so much easier in times of physical games because then you were limited to whatever space you had on your shelf. Now it's like, I have all the shelf space I want. And if I don't, I'll just buy another hard drive. I mean, to be fair, you could buy another shelf too. (laughs) Okay, you're not wrong about that. Yes. (laughs) Well, let's say, okay. So yeah, four was, it was good. People liked it, but it did get a little bit draggy at points. Uh, Did Reverie reignite your fondness of the series? Yes, it Lit a spark, some I might say. I think the exciting thing about that is if it lit a spark, that probably also means that it set a few breadcrumbs in place that hopefully will lead to the future of the series. Yes, they definitely allude to stuff happening in Calvert Republic in particular that just really is intriguing. Yeah, I'm looking at this and apparently the main character of the next series is a mixture of detective and bounty hunter. Huh. Well, it's better than mixture of detective and cop glares at the, glares at Crossbell. <laughs> and there's also a high schooler. Of course there is, because this yes. isn't, again, steal a phrase from Solosi. This is an anime-ass game. I mean, the Cold Steel games are literally about the high school military academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you can do Persona hijinks while also having a civil war. Yeah, I'd say they copied Final Fantasy VIII's homework, but it sounds like they copied it and then turned in a better draft. They copied Final Fantasy VIII's homework, dropped it, and then uh, the Sojima from Atlas picked it up and handed it back to them. <laughs> and that's that's roughly how we got the uh, the Cold Steel games. And, you know, again, they are going to keep coming out. And thankfully, they always seem to hit a, a certain level of quality, which I hate to keep going back to the MCU because I know, I know the MCU nowadays, people are, I'm personally some. I have a lot of thoughts about superhero fatigue. Personally, I think it's media bullshit because they've been saying superhero fatigue since Captain America won. Um, yeah, that, I, that that this is not, not to interrupt, but this is a discussion I could go on about because, like, you're right. That has been a thing that people trot out every time a superhero movie critically or commercially underperforms, and it's usually other factors that led into it. Yeah, also, I, I don't think The Flash is the best barometer for superhero fatigue, but... Did we forget that Ezra Miller kidnapped somebody? Uh, nobody did. In fact, I think that's reflected in the box office numbers. Um, but what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to say is, regardless of your opinion about the MCU, one of the amazing things about it is the level of consistency from film to film to film to film to film, which is some are better, some are worse, but they never... 
they don't seem to ever get worse than a certain level. And there are certain game series out there, like Trails, like Yakuza, which they never seem to shoot for the stars. They never try to exceed their reach. Instead, they keep providing... Okay, I'm, I'm going to say these words. I hate how they sound because I know that it sounds like damning with faint praise, but I don't mean it like that. They're really good comfort food games. Oh, like, yeah. Well, that's fair. You, yeah, you I eat think the, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, you, you get them and you're like, I love this. This is my thing. Just I want a big bowl of my comfort food in front of me and I'm going to eat it and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. And it's always executed at a certain level. So you know that it's not going to be bad. You know, you're not going to have a bad experience with it. You might dislike certain points more parts more than others, but it's on the whole going to be a pretty good experience. And that's what the trail series seems to me. It's gaming comfort food, RPG comfort food. That's always going to give you a good time. Yes. Of course, I've never played them, so I don't really know. Um, but they do. They also seem extremely, extremely anime. Um, however, they don't seem quite as anime as the next game that we're going to be talking about in this episode, which is, <laughs> oh boy. Um, hey, Peter, let's talk about Master Detective Archives Rain Code. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is what I've been playing. That was what I was playing instead of Final Fantasy 16, while I frantically tried to get that review done. Um, yes, which I very much uh, appreciate. So Master Detective Archives, it's from the same creator as the Danganronpa series. So it's a series of uh, narrative detective games, but with a much more action-oriented bent than, let's say, Ace Attorney, for example. Yeah. Where, yeah, you're making deductions, but you're also having to shoot people or shoot the deductions. Or in this case, uh, slice the deductions. Um, so before we talk about this, let me ask you a question. Cause you said it right off the top of your review, uh, the PlayStation Vita, what made that console special to you? Oh man. So the, the PlayStation Vita to me was just like, it, it's, it's, it's so, it had so much potential and Sony's attempts to market it fell flat. You had that whole weird thing with the different models and the 3G compatibility and those stupid, expensive proprietary memory cards. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing just was sort of dead on arrival, which is weird because considering Vita means life. But um, <laughs> in terms of being a haven for niche Japanese games, I think the Vita was unparalleled. Because you not only had access to the PSP's digital back library, which included all of the digital PS1 classics you could play on it. It was a great system for that. But you also had a lot of really neat little niche Japanese games that found an audience there. You had your, I mean, your, your Persona 4 Golden is probably the biggest one. But you had games like Danganronpa getting their Western release and having these dedicated, this dedicated built-in audience for it. Um and I think it's because of that that those games really did gain the traction they did. And now here we are, fast forward years later, the Switch definitely has a much bigger install base than the Vita ever did. And it is sort of, I think, carrying the torch in a lot of ways where there's a lot of smaller projects that can go release on there and find the audience they want. Well, let's pivot this and let's talk a little bit of master uh, let's talk a little bit about master detective archives so what is this game yeah so um as, as you mentioned earlier this is the newest game from uh, kasutaka kodaka who is the creator of danganronpa and what's unique about master detective archives uh rain code is that um it also is because he's released a few games um in the interim since danganronpa v3 yeah after world's leaving. end i believe wasn't one of them 
yeah, World World's End Club, um, Death Come True, which I quite enjoyed. Um, Zanki Zero, that was a weird thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, but like, and and they found uh, he left um, Spike Chunsoft and founded his own company, Two Q Games, which is which are the developers of Brain Code. But along with him this time are the returning character designers and musicians for Dungeon mm. Rampa. So this really does feel in a lot of ways like it's trying to be a spiritual successor. Let's get the band back um, together. Yep, getting the band back together. And right away, the game really does its best to set that tone. So you have, in in the world of Rain Code, um, the world is run by a unified government that dispatches um, master detectives from the World Detective Organization all across the globe in attempts to solve um, cases that normal law enforcement are having difficulty with. Um, master detectives are people who are blessed with special abilities known as forensic fortes, um, which give them an advantage in their investigations. These can be latent abilities like telekinesis or mind reading or really unique stuff. Like one, one character has the ability to recreate crime scenes, but only as they were, as they were at when they were first discovered. So mm. they have they can basically recreate recreate things from the first witness on the scene. So they're basically um, just they're basically just the human equivalent of a chalk outline. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's another character who is like the ultimate master of disguise, like right down to being able to replicate height and voice cadence, um, things like that. Um, and amidst this backdrop, there is a city called Kanai Ward that has been isolated from the rest of the world. It's run by a corporation called Amaterasu, which is doing shady, no good stuff and has completely cut off Kanai Ward from the outside world. No communications, no nothing. Um, So the World Detective Organization takes it upon themselves to covertly um, smuggle in a bunch of master detectives via a train, the, the one way in and out of the city, and to try and get them in there to figure out what the heck is going on in Kanai Ward and uncover what the, what some are calling its ultimate secret. Now, this is where our protagonist comes in. Um, his name is Yuma, Coco Head. Uh, Yuma is an amnesiac. Um, so anime trope number one here, ding. Mm-hmm. Um, he wakes up with no memory of his past and only has on him a note with his name and the summons to go to Kanai Ward via the train. Once Hmm. he is on the train, he meets a whole bunch of other master master detectives who do a good job of um, setting up the world and its stakes and and explaining what the situation is. And I'm I'm sitting here as someone who's played the Duncan Rampa games. I'm like, okay, I see what we're doing here. Here's Here's our main character. We're setting up the world. Here's our our band of eccentric heroes that slash characters of dubious motivation. This is, I see what we're going. And then um, they are all immediately killed as part of the first case. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a bold swing right there. (laughs) Yep. It is, it is chapter zero of rain code and the entire cast up to this point, except for Yuma is dead. Um, Okay. It, it is, it's pretty great. (laughs) Speaking of dead, I just want to, I want to I want to quote something from your review here. Okay. Uh specifically quote it which is uh uh 
Shinigami, who spends most of the game as a cute, marketable cartoon ghost, goes through a magical girl girl transformation whenever Yuma enters the mystery labyrinth, becoming a well-endowed gothic lolita who, among other things, vomits up the clues you need to progress in the labyrinth. What? (laughs) Yeah, so that's a lot, and I'm going to do my best to explain that now. I don't um, think you okay. need to explain it. I, I don't think there is an explanation, <laughs> it, it Peter. Writes, I think it writes itself. No, we are we are. <laughs> I, I no, think it look, says what it is. It's right on the tin. <laughs> it's around the oh look around the time the big titty goth GF picked me up in her mouth while turning into a giantess. Um, where I was like, okay, someone is actively looking at my browser history, and I'm not having it. I mean, what? Yeah. Hey, Audrey, it puts <laughs> the swimsuit DLC into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> things could always be worse. I am legitimately surprised that the only DLC this game is doing is it has a season pass for a few um, episodic new cases that are coming out. I'm mm. like, wow, they could have marketed, they could have, they could have gone like full on Kiseki with this DLC if they wanted to. <laughs> um, but okay, so going, going, backtracking a little bit, sure. Yuma, Yuma has lost his memories because, as it turns out, he has entered into a pact with Shinigami, who is a death god. Um, Shinigami. Of course, <laughs> she spends most of the game as this cute little marketable ghost who's like all all over the game, um, uh, all over the game's uh, marketing and stuff. Hmm. And what? But she has the unique ability to essentially freeze time and take all of the information that you've uncovered during your investigation of the crime scene and physically manifest it into a video game esque dungeon called a mystery labyrinth mm-hmm. once you're inside the mystery labyrinth um she does her um magical girl transformation and mm. essentially guides you through the, the dungeon where you will encounter obstacles that are and and that are prevent trying to prevent you from solving the case and then use the evidence you've gathered in order to try and piece together what actually happened uh these mystery lab and labyrinth sequences are the centerpiece of the game they are very much the class trials from Danganronpa. Only, mm. as I like I said in the review, the difference here is that instead of... It, it's very familiar to Danganronpa fans. You're, you're essentially going to encounter an adversary who is going to spit um, misinformation at you about the case. And you have to find the piece of evidence that best refutes their statements and, and select it. Um, and then in the Danganronpa games, that was represented as a truth bullet that you would use to shoot the, the, the statement. In this case, Yumo has a solution blade that he uses to cut through the contradictory statements. Um, and these these reasoning death matches, as they're called, are sort of portrayed like a traditional RPG battle. Um, the game even makes a bunch of Dragon Quest jokes in the process, which I found delightful, <laughs> um, where you have to dodge in real time. You have to dodge the incoming um the the words from the case physically manifest and are thrown at you and you have to like jump out of the way until you see the one you need to get and then you need to cut it with your sword. Um it's very fun. I I actually thought the reason the interactivity with the game and the actual logic of piecing together the cases was very compelling. Um mm-hmm. it, one of the cases um earlier on in the game, I think it's the chapter two one is a little predictable. Um, but for the most part, I thought all of them had really solid, really creative and clever setups for how they were going on. Because most of the cases, as you're as you're solving them uh, while you're in the investigation portion of the game, like they seem impossible. Mm. Like, 
how in the heck did they pull this off? And as you find those evidence pieces um, uh, and slowly piece things together, it, it, the, 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 the Rampa team has been very good at coming up with this, just these really zany solutions to their case, to their mystery stories. And mm-hmm. Rain Code continues in that tradition. I think if you're a fan of that kind of writing, you're going to have a really great time with this game. Well, I was going to ask a little bit about that because I, one of my all-time favorite genres of video game is uh, our mystery games. I love mystery games. I mean, some of my best gaming experiences of the last few years have been, well, Curse of Oberdin. Obviously, I'm a massive Ace Attorney fan. Uh, there was a game that came out a few months ago that I just adore. It's, uh, uh, the case of golden idol. So good. So I've heard good things about that. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's so good. Uh, and you know, it's deductive, it's narrative deduction and you're trying to figure out what happened, how the order it happened. So how would you describe the, I guess the mysteries of these games? Does it require any, uh, I guess, puzzle solving or your own thought process to deduce what happened or does it really boil down to swinging your sword at the things that are flying at you? Not really. So like with Danganronpa, it is pretty much just a selective of uh, uh, the case of finding your main, your main involvement is going to be figuring out which piece of evidence you have best refutes the contradiction you've been presented with. So like an mm. enemy will, the, the, so like they'll say something along the lines of, oh, well, there's absolutely no way the killer could have, but uh, God, I'm trying to think of an example that doesn't spoil anything. Blown um, up an entire train full of detectives. <laughs> yeah, like like this, you'll be like, it'll be impossible for them to get in or out of this room, and then you'll be like, mm-hmm. aha, that's not true because I have this piece of evidence that proves that there was a special access code that was only given to X car- to X employees on the train. So they so could it's have going more to the Ace Attorney set, the Ace Attorney side of it, really. It's very much on the Ace Attorney side of it, and if you are having trouble, it is entirely possible that you can brute force your way through it. Um, early on in the game, Shinigami does ask you whether or not you, how much advice you want for these cases. Um, and, and I don't think you can change that later on in the game, but it does determine whether or not she will. Because whenever you mess up, the game mm-hmm. pauses for a second to ask you to like, okay, review your notes and try again. Um, and then she, sometimes Shinigami will offer like a little hint there. Um, but that is where most of the, the brain teaser aspect of it comes through. For the rest of it, you're going to be doing, you're making a lot of binary choices. You'll often be presented with like multiple routes to progress through the mystery labyrinth, but one of them will be an obvious dead end, and the other one will be like, well, hey, maybe you learned something new about the case, but this isn't actually the solution. How like um, life? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and if you fail one of those, it pretty much it takes off a tiny little sliver of Yuma's health and then kicks you back to the decision point. So there's very little punishment for just trial and error in your way through if you need feel the need to. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things about this game that really caught my attention when I was looking at it was uh, Danganronpa is 2D character. It's, it's 2.5D, really. Whereas mm-hmm. this is a full 3D game. And because of that, they are able to uh, develop the environment of Kanai Ward uh, considerably more, and you can explore it. So I'm just yeah. curious, what's it like to explore this uh, this uh, forgotten town? I guess I really, I really enjoyed getting to explore, um, getting to explore Kanai Ward. I think that's the, the, if there's one thing this game does really well is that it has a tremendous sense of place. Yeah, the art direction you even mentioned, you mentioned the art direction of the game is uh, somewhat Tim Burton inspired almost. Yep, they were ve- they were very explicit with their inspiration for this game and turn right down to the character designs. It kind of has this mix of um, the style you would traditionally expect from this these creators and 
the kind of the characters are all like kind of pale and there's a lot of gothic architecture and um you have this kind of perpetually rain slick streets as you go from like okay here's like this poor run down district of the town where everything's kind of like kind of like a like there's like shop shops you can visit and Mm. uh hotels and then you'll go to like a more upscale um part of town and there's like an art museum with like a dinosaur skeleton and things like that and it's very detailed um this game is running on the unreal engine 4 and it seems and it is very i think for the most part very impressive how much of this they were able to cram in here the only thing is and and i and i alluded to this earlier is the switch is definitely struggling to output a lot of these visuals i think the assets themselves Mm -hmm. are very detailed and very well animated and the switch is doing its dangdest but it still struggles to maintain a stable frame rate a lot of the time not Uh, to the i understand that yeah it's it's not to the point that it's like terrible, but it like but it's definitely noticeable. It sounds like the kind of thing that when it's hopefully inevitably released on the PC, it'll be a smoother experience. I would almost guarantee that that is going to happen somewhere down the road. Like right now, it's a Switch exclusive, but I could see it do if it does well. I could see it getting ported to other platforms. It also sounds like based on what you were telling me about like the rain slick. Well, I guess it's called rain code. So obviously, there's going to be a bit of water falling from the sky, but mm-hmm. it's it's pulling a Pretty lot much of constantly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pulling a lot of uh, noir tropes uh, because it's a detective game. So it's, it seems like it's not quite film noir, but I don't know, Burton noir almost. <laughs> it's anime noir. What's anime let's go noir? With that. Yeah, that's it's good. An, it's anime noir, and um, and and there's and there's lots of just little details in the environment that I really appreciate. Like sometimes Shinigami, Shinigami will always be like floating around Yuma, and sometimes she will go and interact with something in the environment. Like oh, you'll go to a restaurant and she'll fly behind the counter and put on a chef's hat and start like pretending to cook. And it's like little environmental details like that that I think are just so cute and give the game so mm-hmm. much personality. Um, and it's just like the ambition is is here. Does the voice acting assist with that? Yeah, the voice acting is by and large very good. Um, and, and actually, in keeping with the uh, the uh, Kaseki uh, uh, route, uh, you have a lot of very recognizable voice actors that you'll have heard in a lot of recent anime. Um, I know um, I recognized um, Song One Cho uh, Pro ZD as. Um, um, He's he plays um, number one, who is the leader of the World Detective Organization. He's getting some good work, and he deserves it. He deserves it. He's excellent, mm-hmm. incredibly talented. He's also funny as hell. He's a great writer. He's he really is. Oh my god. Yeah, it's just, and so and it, the performances are very good. Yuma's voice actor, especially towards the end of the game, when the story starts to get really intense, and the you know there's a there is a dark, twisted secret at the heart of this city. And you will uncover it, and um, the, his uh, acting in particular during those sequences, I found very, very compelling. Hmm. Uh, does the game's music complement the narrative in the same way that the voice acting does? The music is fine. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's bad. Like with Danganronpa, it's very atmospheric and it is catchy. Um, it, they're the main theme of the game that plays whenever you're, especially during the end of each case when you're putting all the pieces together into chronological order and then presenting, okay, here's what happened. Um, that, that the main theme kicks in and that is a banger. Yeah. The parlor um, theme, the, the, yeah. you know, the detective gathers everyone in the parlor to explain the case. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but a lot of it gets pretty repetitive. Um, 
the the music uh, when you're in the beginning when you're on the train. I think it's like maybe a thirty second loop. It's not terribly it's not terribly exciting. But once mm-hmm. you get into the city and it's it's much more somber and quiet. There is some good music here. It's just a uh, uh, maybe a little more uh, video gamey in parts than um, others. If that makes sense, that's a weird criticism to make on a video game podcast, but it's the only thing I can think of. No, I get it. I get it. Um, for those who have not really, I mean, there might be people out there who have played Western, uh, more Western detective mystery games, and maybe they're looking to get into this a little bit. Um, would you recommend this game to them, or would you recommend that they go back to some of the earlier ones like Danganronpa, Zero Escape, that kind of thing first? Um, or would you think that this is a perfectly good entry point into this genre of game? Oh, I mean, I will always recommend Zero Escape, but well, yes. um, uh, I think that if you are the kind of player who enjoys a solid mystery adventure game, like if you're a fan of Ace Attorney and you have a healthy, above average tolerance for anime antics... Um, then I think you will enjoy uh, Rain Code. It is very much a game for, by, it's very much a game for um, anime fans. I think, especially, I won't get super specific into this, but like there is a character who is very much the, uh, the, oh, I'm so perverted and I want to get with every female character. And isn't this so charming? Ha 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 ha. That I wanted to strangle for the entirety of the case where I was working with him. Hmm. Um, but, um, uh, and all the Shinigami stuff too is again, she's, it's very, it is extremely sexualized and you either are on board with that or you're not. Yes. But putting all that aside, if you're like, if, and I think for me, my enjoyment of the story and the characters and the atmosphere of Kanai Ward, I think all of that trumped that by the end so that by the end of it i wasn't too bothered by it like i was actually kind of sad to see well when the story gets very serious um shinigami kind of stops doing a couple of her antics because it would ruin the mood and i was like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like no I, I want you to do the the goofy ridiculous transformation thing <laughs> um so i think that that's i think that's a sign that they did their job as mystery writers mm. to bring it back to the beginning uh at the end of your review, you say that uh, it feels like a lost relic of the PlayStation Vita in the best possible way. In what ways does it remind you of a Vita title? I think it's the smaller scope, the lower budget, but the fact that despite that, there is just creativity bursting from the seams of this game. Because mm-hmm. the Vita, for all its faults as a platform, you had developers that were that had the freedom to do interesting stuff on a more limited scope, if that makes sense. Like um, you may not have the processing power of a console, but because of that, you have, you don't have to work with as high a budget and you're able to still do some fairly compelling stuff. Just, you know, it's not going to look like triple A. Um, I think today we would call these like double A games. Yeah. And I think not that quite would indie, be, but you know, it's not quite indie, but it's not quite triple A either. It kind of fits into a comfortable middle ground. Huh. Yeah. And I think that's where Raincoat fits to me. And I know Kadaka had said in interviews that the concept for this game started when they were working on V3, uh, the, the third Danganronpa game. So even then, there is, so that kind of goes back to the Vita era already. But just when I was playing it the whole time, I was like, man, I could be very comfortable. Like even I took my Switch out of the the dock and was just sitting on my couch playing. And I'm just like, wow, this, this takes me back actually to when <laughs> we were playing uh Duncan one and two for uh, retro encounter. That's kind of nice. I like that. 
I mean, yeah. and that's another point of uh, strength for the Switch. And the reason why I do not think that the next, the Switch Pro, the Super Switch, whatever we're going to call it, is going to be a blow the top off, the blow the roof off level of uh, powerful. I think it's, they're still, they're going to want to keep with the portability of the Switch because it's such oh, a yeah. massive hit. So it's it not really, going to be that. It really is, I think, a key component of that system's success. I mean, it's it's a shame that they aren't going like the, the, uh, valve root and putting something a little bit more a little little stronger under the hood uh-huh yeah make make us a, a steam deck but for nintendo games um one could argue the steam deck is already a system for nintendo games <clears throat> but... in fact you could argue <laughs> that it's a better one for <laughs> uh mm, nintendo please do not sue us um no we're not being specific it's fine <laughs> wink well let's do a quick little discussion question just based on what we were just talking about there just for fun i don't know i mean i have a list because i you know i'm the review manager but i don't i don't know the consoles that you have off the top of my head so based on everything that's coming out in the next few months and based on the consoles that you currently have which console would you most you don't have to buy it but which one would you want to buy in the next few months is there anything that makes you go oh I kind of want, I want to play this game, so I need to buy this console. I mean, clearly, Peter, your answer, because we talked about it earlier, is you need an Xbox so you can play Starfield. <laughs> I mean, obviously. I mean, I, I, honestly, honestly, man, I, I already kind of have everything I need um, system-wise. I have a Switch, I have a PS5, I have a Steam Deck, and I'm just like, um, I, I, ha- I had an Xbox One I was using for, uh, for a Lost Odyssey. I had, to get, I had to sell off a few things recently. But um, so maybe an Xbox Series so I can play Final Fantasy 13 at 1440p. <laughs> um, is that is that an oddly specific thing to want to do? Yes, absolutely. But it's also but a completely valid answer. I, w- I want to play Lightning Returns in 13.2 at a stable frame rate for God cr- crying out loud. Um, uh, so, yeah, that'll probably be my answer. So I can the, the, the Series X so I can go back and play games from the 360 era in glorious 4K. Yes. So Peter wants a Peter wants a cutting edge console so he can go back and play Final Fantasy 13 again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that game still looks good. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> All Square Enix games still look good. That's this the, is, it, this it's, is a it's fair point. True. It's completely true. Like. Square Enix, say what you will about them and say how they have dropped off for the last few years in many different ways. Uh, One thing that you can always count on them is they will always deliver, especially for Final Fantasy games, a graphic powerhouse that just drops your jaw based on art design and fidelity. And just they always look good and they always stand up to the next generation of games like 15 still looks amazing. 15 looks really dang good, especially especially on. um the performance mode on PS5 or if you're playing the PC version like oh man that that engine can deliver Audra what would you like if uh if Santa could give you a, a console immediately what would you want um well I'm kind of in the same boat <laughs> I I have a switch I have a steam deck and I have a PS5 and for Xbox nobody wants an Xbox <laughs> I I probably would if if Santa was giving me one I'd want an Xbox probably <laughs> fine um okay well i'm going to be the uh the one who says i don't have a steam deck and i would like one please santa <laughs> um although at this point i think i will hold off i know that i know that valve says they're not going to be releasing a new steam deck for a couple of years and why would they because they're making gangbusters with this thing they do not need to release an updated version but i can also wait a few years and the 
Steam Deck 2 or if they release a, you know, just a, a new processor or something like that. That's something that I would be interested in buying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll take that. Actually, I'll take this further. Um, a console that it's not even a console, but it's it's been very, very interesting. I've been looking to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it at length here, but uh, during Apple's WWDC, they announced a game porting toolkit. Uh, and they got Kojima out to talk about uh, Death Stranding, which, fine. Okay, come out and talk about a couple years old game. That's Apple's MO. Um, but apparently with their game porting toolkit, it's become much, much, much easier to port games onto a Mac now. And in fact, some games that are not even designed for the Mac are playable now using this this framework. So it might I I might my next computer might be a Mac. I might be giving up my mm. PC and going to a Mac if they continue down this road with gaming and say, okay, you know, we know that the Mac is never going to be a gaming console, but we're going to make it easy to play games on the Mac. I think the main barrier in between me finally saying okay screw it i'm already in the apple ecosystem for everything else i might as well make my main computer a mac that barrier is going away so and I, th- I don't think anyone would have a problem with the mac being a more video game centric uh platform no not at all. no i mean certain god knows apple arcade has not been the uh the massive hit they were hoping it was for obvious reasons yeah i mean fantasians fantasian is excellent don't get me wrong but i would I, yeah, it, it would be nice to see them, you know, make games, gaming more accessible on their platforms. Absolutely. Yeah. There's actually rumors that Sakaguchi might actually want to port Fantasia into something else. And I'm just like, yes, please, please. I mean, it's it's the kind of game that, I mean, it, it belongs on the Switch. Let's be honest. It's oh, a yeah. Switch, it's a Switch game. And I mean, Apple... Apple has done some interesting things. In fact, coming soon, they have a couple of games coming out for Apple Arcade, including Stardew Valley's finally coming. I mean, it, it, Stardew Valley's been on iOS and iPadOS for a while, but it's coming to Apple Arcade. Um, and Slay the Spire's coming very soon, too. There are some real, real good games for Apple Arcade, but they still cater to the uh, the mobile gaming arena, which is something that, uh, Sam aside, we do not tend to focus on here at RPG Fan. <laughs> Sam, our uh, our mobile correspondent, um, love you, Sam. <laughs> oh God! If it wasn't for Sam, we our our mobile coverage would just be completely dead. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, I so that was that was my that's mine. I'm gonna I want I kind of want a Steam Deck too whenever it comes out in a few years. But in the meantime, I think my next console is going to be a Apple computer, providing that it can play games. Anyway, so um, you know what. Thank you both so much for coming on. It's been really nice talking about games again instead of just talking about news or talking about a specific game. Because as much as I love talking about Tears of the Kingdom and news, and well, I didn't talk about Final Fantasy XVI, but I certainly listened to it. Um, it's just good talking about different games again. And that's kind of what I love to do on this uh, this podcast. So thank you both very much for coming on and talking with me about these two games. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, it was fun. You're welcome. Yeah, it was fun. And we had a nice... Uh consistent theming today i think we both picked up some anime ass games anime ass games thank (laughs) you solosi um well if you'd like to find a way to support us here and our uh our coverage of anime ass rpgs here at rpg fan uh we have opened a store you can find it at www.rpgfan.com slash shop uh there you can find all kinds of things you can find mugs uh, you can find magnets you can find baby onesies you can find all kinds of things Take a look around there. It has our 25th anniversary merchandise, and uh, it all looks pretty darn great. I have a bunch of it. 
Um, you can also check out our past episodes of Random Encounter. Like I mentioned, last week was uh, Final Fantasy 16. Uh, Zach guest hosted the episode, did a tremendous job. Uh, before that, we had some E3 stuff, not E3 stuff. Uh, and before that, we did a bunch of episodes on Tears of the Kingdom, which I highly recommend both the game and the episodes to anyone out there listening. Uh, but we are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter, which is RPG Fan's uh, podcast of many topics, old games, things like that. Um, last week, or two weeks ago, because it's been bi-weekly lately, we had the first part of the Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy VI episode, and we have the second part coming out later this week. Uh, I really enjoyed editing this one because I Final Fantasy VI is one of my all-time favorite games, and it was super interesting getting some perspectives on Final Fantasy VI that I've never heard before. So uh, those episodes are definitely worth a listen. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fan's music podcast. Last week, we were focused on jazz and funk. Uh, so it was a funky episode, and it was a pretty cool episode. Some really, really neat songs and some really cool arrangements of some songs that you might know. And then next week, we're going into... Uh, we're Okay, let's. I'm not going to be mean, but let's. It, it's a series that is controversial for its music. <laughs> it's called Dragon Quest, so it's going to be a Dragon Quest focused episode, um, and that's going to be pretty darn cool. Because believe it or not, we've never had a Dragon Quest focused episode of Rhythm Encounter before. Uh, so check that out uh, next week. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. If you have any feedback for me, any suggestions, any discussion questions, anything like that, fire off a message, drop me a line. I'll mention it on the show. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email directly, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com. You can also find me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. Turns out that I got off Twitter just in the nick of time. <sighs> Well, okay, let's go. It's that, that long-suffering sigh. Let's go to Peter. Peter, where can we find you online? You can't. Um, no, anyway. Um, uh, so I am still holding on to the last gasps of Twitter um, at I Have Fury. Um, for the time being, that might not be the case by the time this episode goes up, considering the rate that place is going. But To be fair, Peter, I think there are many Twitter users right now who have Fury. That's very valid. See, I was ahead of the game. Well, okay, Audra, where can we find you online? Um, Audra B at RPGfan.com. I just have email at the moment, so I'm just watching. <laughs> I'm just watching it from afar. <laughs> Audra's smarter than both of us. We're, I, you're, you're in the, the, the clown car of Twitter. I'm in the way too small car of Mastodon, and Audra's just like, hee hee hee, I have my email address. <laughs> um, well, everyone out there, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast players of choice. You can leave us a review. I would love to read some reviews for the episode and for the show. So uh, again, Audra, Peter, thank you so much for giving me your evening coming on talking about these games. Thank you very much for the reviews. They're both great. The, uh, the links are going to be in the show notes there for anyone who's looking for them. So give those a check on the site. And, uh, you know, to everyone out there who's listening, thank you so much. And uh, whatever you're playing, have fun. <laughs>